Good morning. It's exactly 10am then. And you are listening to TBS EFM's COVID-19 live update show. We'll be on air for the next couple of hours, bringing you analysis and updates from this coronavirus outbreak situation. The numbers that we have at the moment after 813 infections were added yesterday are 300, sorry, 3,150 nationwide. The vast majority in the Daegu and North Gyeongsang province areas, uh, but 17 deaths as well confirmed very sadly. I am going to be refreshing my sources as often as possible in the next few minutes because it's just gone 10am, as I mentioned, which means that we will be getting that morning update that we've been getting every day uh, very helpfully by the government here, I might add. Um, One of the areas in terms of containment, like when we talk about caution, that's one thing that's very important. But if we're going to bring this outbreak to a close, a vaccine would also be very, very helpful for the future. Jerome Kim is Director General of the International Vaccine Institute based here in Korea. Thank you very much for joining us. Good morning. Can you tell us a bit more about the Institute and um, its international status and why it's based here in South Korea, which happens to be a very important place for discussing vaccines right now? It does. Uh, IVI was founded in 1997 as an initiative of the United Nations Development Program, which wanted to put an institute that was dedicated to providing high-quality, low-cost vaccines, um, primarily to vaccinate children around the world. Um, They opened a call for proposals, and um, the Korean government proposal uh, won out over proposals from China and India and Thailand and, and other places. And so, you know, the Korean government had offered to build the building, provide the land. And we were the first international organization actually to be headquartered in Korea. Um, And our mission is to discover, develop and deliver safe, effective and affordable vaccines for global health. So we will do the things that a company won't do. We'll take on vaccines that aren't going to have a huge profit, but really are going to provide um, benefit to the poorest uh, populations in the world. That's exactly what we want to hear with an outbreak like this, because what we were told very early on back in January was that companies might not be going all in thinking this might be another SARS situation where they're not able to make much money of a vaccine. How close might we be, just to get that big question out of the way, to a vaccine that's effective against COVID-19? So that's a that's an important question. And, you know, if you were to go to one of the big companies, um, I'd be uh, MSD or Pfizer or GlaxoSmithKline, you know, the numbers that they quote for a standard vaccine, um, five to 10 years, tending towards 10 years, and on the order of 500 million to $1.5 billion in cost, depending on the complexity of the vaccine and the condition. Um, so clearly, that's not within our time frame. Um Luckily, I think a lot of nations uh, have banded together to form a group called CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. And the idea was that working together, they could do things they couldn't do individually. And with CEPI, CEPI has um, pre-planned what they call a disease X. Um, And of course, COVID-19 came as an unexpected disease X. And they very rapidly got out uh, funding and set up contracts with smaller companies and universities that they thought could develop uh, vaccines more rapidly. So Dr. Tony Fauci, um, who is the head of the U.S. National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease, said, 
we should know the answer about whether a vaccine works in one and a half years, so 18 months, which is very rapidly. Um, it could happen more quickly depending on the, the nature, the status of the disease in various parts of the world where a vaccine could be tested. Um, and so many people are hopeful that we will get this done in under two years, uh, which would be very remarkable. It would be very helpful for the bigger picture. But for now, then, in the next couple of years, it's it's going to be very important for us to remain cautious, to find other ways to contain the outbreak. In your experience of studying outbreaks, though, do they just run their course sometimes? For example, how did SARS fade out? How, how has MERS not become more of a threat than it looked like it might be, for example, here in 2015? So those diseases, every disease is different and every epidemic is different. So, you know, remember, probably the better one to compare to this would be um, the H1N1 flu that uh, was around 2009. Um, because this disease, like the flu, spreads um, fairly rapidly. You know, SARS and MERS. The SARS, um, the people who were infectious were very sick. With MERS, um, transmission occurred primarily in very close settings, like in a hospital. Um, there was much less spread in the community uh, from exposure, say, in church and, and other places. I mean, you had to be confined uh, within a small space, and that's actually true of MERS uh, as it's you know happening now in the Middle East as well. Um, but this disease um, is a bit it's a bit more infectious than SARS. That is, um, it, it's actually slightly more infectious than the flu. Um, it spreads uh, during a period of relative lack of symptoms. So remember, people talk about um, 14, 5, and 2. Only 14% of people show severe symptoms, so what we would consider to be pneumonia, requiring hospitalization. 5% require intensive care. And 2%, actually, it's probably more like less than 1% to 2% of people die. That means that 80% of people have minimal symptoms, and particularly in the beginning part of the disease, when they, you know, when you start to get a cold, you feel a little bit bad, but not terribly bad. And people might be infectious during that stage of COVID-19. So the potential for spreading, uh, like the flu, uh, might be greater. And that's why, you know, as soon as they identify cases, they try to uh, identify the contacts and they tell them to stay at home and they begin testing because we really want to be able to limit contact uh, with people outside. By the way, we do have the update that I was mentioning we were expecting. 376 new infections confirmed this morning, which is more than 200 less than we had at the same time yesterday, but I wouldn't necessarily read too much into the fluctuations there. We will get another afternoon update, which may be higher or less than we saw yesterday afternoon. What that means for the overall number at this point, 3,526 nationwide. Uh, Of those 376 additionally confirmed, 333 are in Daegu. And it's still this situation... Uh, if you're in Seoul, it's something to be grateful for, where um, they are concentrated in one part of the country. But, uh, of course, that's not any relief at all to people who have that Daegu connection. We'll be actually hearing um, later in the show uh, from someone who is based in Daegu. Um, coming back to you, Jerome Kim, um, I mean, th- these numbers going up and up and up. Already we have a situation, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that schools are shut down, 
temporarily, but you wonder at what point they're going to be able to reopen if we continue to go up in numbers. Like if the, if it was justified to shut down schools before. And if this is two years away from a vaccine, at what point do you say, "Oh, okay, it's okay to open schools again"? So um, I know that's not your decision to make, but <laughs> I'm I'm just sort of curious your feeling on that. No, it's it's definitely something where the government, you know, like the Chinese government, was looking at the data and now have relaxed some of their um, restrictions and in some of the areas where no new cases have occurred. So you know, a part of this will be. To watch how the epidemic evolves, and it's unfortunate. You know, I mean, it's great that the Korean government is providing these uh, twice daily updates of, of numbers and figures and things. Um, but for them, they're going to need to look at the numbers and say, okay, it's starting to level off. Okay, the number of new cases has dropped off. We think we've, you know, identified most of the immediate contacts in the Daegu area. Um, it may be possible now to back off a bit. So right now, they're 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 doing things in a stage manner, right? They Um, The schools are uh, delayed opening until March 9th. Um, They may need to delay it even even further. I mean, in parts of China, again, they're they're still not back at school um, because, you know, schools represent a, you know, A, there are children, uh, but B, also, you know, you know how schools are. The kids are all around. They're close to each other. They're, you know, playing. It's really difficult to control um, outbreaks in that setting. Right. Um, So I think, It's the appropriate level of caution around certain around that. Now, wh- whether the government will open up um, and say, "Okay, it's it's fine to go out and um, go shopping, or go to the mall, or go to the movie theater," you know, those are things that they're going to need to look at as they look at the daily data and the trend over time, which is probably the most important thing. Um, every epidemic is different. Who would have predicted that it was a transmission from China to a you know church in Daegu? Yeah, I, I must confess, as a parent of very bored children right now, I did look at the movie theatre listings for yesterday. I, I found it interesting that a lot of the uh, sort of old Disney classics were being brought back. I guess a lot of people don't want to bring out new movies right now, but they're they're showing all these uh, movies aimed at kids, uh, knowing perhaps that there'll be some parents who will just rather do that than stay at home any longer uh, what i mean for people looking at an expert like yourself and wondering what you would be doing with your family are you living life very differently now compared with before can you give us some insight into not what you would tell everyone else to do but how this outbreak has affected you personally so you know um to remember the institute's helping to or working towards developing a, a new vaccine so There are certain people at our working place who really have to be there. Right? You can't do lab work with test tubes and, and pipettes and things at home. Mm. So a certain part of us have to be there, and, and I go in every day. Um, the other staff um, who, who can uh, take care of a lot of the work that we do that is managing trials or talking to collaborators in Africa or in South Asia – Um, can do a lot of work at home, and we have a lot of more conference calls than we used to. Um, but, you know, many of us are still, I mean, we have to be there um, in order to to work on the next vac- on, on a potential vaccine. Um, personally, my, my daughter's at home, too. <laughs> um, and, you know, we are trying to limit our, you know, going out. You know, church will be a Facebook streaming um, event, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that the things that that we do, you know, protect yourself, protect others. I mean, that's 
pretty basic, and it's really probably hand-washing. Uh, in Korea, masks are recommended, and, you know, masks are definitely recommended if you um, think you might be ill. Um, and, you know, we avoid congregating, so we protect ourselves. We don't go to places uh, where there's a high risk of transmission, like Daegu. Um, so, again, you know, you do the things that you need to protect yourself and protect others. Um, just a, a final question, coming back to your expertise on the vaccine. I, I wanted to just ask whether there's something about this virus that could make it particularly difficult to vaccinate against. Uh, It's already behaving in ways that are surprising some people, like how long it can hang around in someone's system in in testing, uh, how some of the tests are are not quite sensitive enough to pick it up, how some people in their 20s are are getting very seriously ill, for example, in Iran, losing their lives. Do these things make the vaccination process more complicated or or do you anticipate it to be very similar to the SARS process, for example? So I hope it's not similar to the SARS process in one respect, which is um, as soon as the SARS uh, epidemic ended, um, within a few years, the funding dried up. So before we could get a vaccine ready, it disappeared. So if SARS were to appear again as, you know, so I call it SARS-1 because that was the outbreak in the early 2000s. If we think about SARS-1, there are no vaccines for that um, disease because the funding dried up when the disease disappeared. I think the whole idea behind CEPI and others is we may not have the vaccine ready in time, but we will have a stockpile of it available uh, for rapid testing in case the disease occurs again, and then we can actually show that the vaccine works because that's a key part. You know, vaccines are given to healthy people to protect them from illness. So you, you really want to make sure that the vaccine is safe and that it protects. And um, so with regard to um, COVID-19, or as it's known scientifically, SARS-CoV-2, um, you know, we I think that there will be um, an opportunity to test some of these vaccines, probably in the context of, an epi- of the epidemic, and to see whether these new vaccines actually do protect against infection. Um, you know, the last time, probably one of the few times where it worked successfully, where we actually able to test a vaccine during an epidemic and show uh, that the vaccine worked, was during the Ebola outbreak. And, you know, a drug company, a big drug company, Merck, actually tested a vaccine in West Africa, showed that it worked, and that vaccine um, is being used now in the outbreak in uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. So it is possible. It takes a lot of effort and uh, coordination. And I think, you know, one of the lessons we might have learned from previous outbreaks, and, you know, Korea has learned this um, as well as anybody, is that cooperation and collaboration with others really may make the process easier um, and faster. Well, Jerome Kim, Director General of the International Vaccine Institute, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure.